Welcome to Electricians and Mad Men. I'm Ian Gorman. Today's guest is John Campos, director of Western Sound Studios, the recording facility at Western Michigan University. John has managed this classic Kalamazoo studio for over 30 years, and as WMU's recording techniques instructor, he has helped generations of successful engineers get their careers started in audio. We talked in December 2017, right in the Western Sound Studios control room. You know, up here you, uh, uh, you teach a full program of audio classes under the multimedia arts technology major. Yep. And uh, it's also a fully operational, open to the public, working professional studio. Yep. Well, what an amazing experience for students to take classes in a real working studio and get experience to that side of the business, too. Absolutely. And uh, it's it's something that I stress right from the very beginning is that they, while they can, in the top class, they can use this, they will use this studio. Uh, there's a lab for the other lower level classes. Um, they can't be on pro sessions until they show themselves to be, you know, like any of us, we're not going to just bring some student on it just because they're some student. They've got to be great. They've got to make the session better. And that mm-hmm. pressure and that real life kind of high bar is really good for them. Obviously, they know this is no place to crap around and uh, we're not going to bullshit it on a, in any any way whatsoever on a, a client session. So, uh, but that really lights fire under them, you know. They want to wanna be good mm-hmm. and, um, and work themselves into that position, and uh, almost all of them do. So it's a rare thing I have to tell somebody, man, you're not. You, you, <laughs> and, and that's also almost always just you know, it's the people skills. It's when no one to talk and no one when not to. That's something yeah. we all have to learn right on these sessions. Is mm-hmm. what's how to act. Yeah, you have to ever tell anybody they got they got to go to business school or something like that. Really <laughs> drop a bomb on them. <laughs> you know? Well. Uh, I have, (laughs) yes, but I usually speak, you know, I couch it in the terms which are very, very uh, legit as it's how competitive this field is. And um, I want to be realistic about it. I went to a school where I really learned a lot. It was a terrific experience for me, but they were not realistic at all about employment possibilities. And that's when studios had staff engineers, man. (laughs) (laughs) Back when when there were employment possibilities. When there were, and yet there were. You know, they just kicked 90 of us out into the street at the same time without any <laughs> word at all about what to do. Uh-huh. And uh, so I've really, really tried to make that plain I, all the way from the very beginning with the program about uh, what the options are and what's realistic and what it takes to, to get along and to hopefully thrive. So Yeah, well, to me, that's one of the fantastic parts of the audio program here is that kind of that exposure to the real life situations. And I think a lot of students that have gone through this program have benefited from that exposure. What kind of things do you like to teach students about the realities of getting a job in the field and getting your foot in the door somewhere? Well, uh, apart from just the old saw, because it's just about persistence and about the fact that uh, I try to really encourage them that it's impossible to know where you're going to end up. You have no idea what twists and turns your career is going to take. you got to be flexible in that regard and be open to whatever opportunity may pop open. I would have never guessed when I was in school that I'd end up doing what I ended up doing. And yet it has suited me. Uh, I wouldn't choose another thing. It's just been awesome. And yet I had no idea. And I've got so many stories of the years of people who have done that. They've gone off to do some gig and it turns into, oh, I 
you know, there was a guy there doing some wiring and then uh, Benzo, I don't know if you remember Benzo, but Ben Richards, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, he ended up uh, being at a school where they were wiring up MTSU, wiring up studios and he started helping with that. He didn't think he's, you know, next thing you know, he was uh, really impressing the guy he, he was helping out and got a really great relationship, started work with him. Try, you know, it just one thing leads to another. You have no idea. He didn't go down to MTSU to learn to wire studios, but that's an opportunity that presented itself and uh, that he enjoyed and got a heck of a lot out of it. And it's led to other things, to other things, to other things. And, and uh, so that openness and fundamentally just doing a great job at absolutely anything you do. It's just... Uh, uh, I feel really good about stressing that uh, because it's just plainly the key to to handling whatever comes your way. And if you do that with everything you do, you never know what door is going to open. And it might not be because you're you know doing the, the awesome audio job for somebody. It's because you've done some other who knows what kind of job. Heck, maybe you helped with parking at a festival. You know, parking. You didn't get into this biz to help with parking, but then they would go, man, that, you know, wow, she did. She's awesome, <laughs> right? She's easy to work with. She's totally reliable. She's did a great, great job. Maybe she even brought suggestions that are, oh yeah, those are great ideas. And then whenever they need something, they think, oh yeah, she's awesome. And if the more you leave that impression with the more people, so people say, oh, absolutely, work with so and so. They're they're great. And it'll lead to who knows what opportunities, given how fast this business changes. You know, what's going to be happening in 10 years? Who the heck knows? But uh, certainly the people who are bringing a high level of work and anything they do are going to be the ones in the best position to take advantage and have a cool life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you made reference to the fact that you never would have expected that you got here. Let's talk a little bit about how you got into audio. You. You started as a musician, I assume, before working yep, with audio that, at all? Yep, grew up playing music. Uh, fortunate enough to have all those opportunities. I studied violin. I had fine teachers. I grew up in Ann Arbor originally, and great, great music in the schools there and orchestras. And I mean, hell, our middle school orchestra had 12 viola players in it. <laughs> <laughs> Where does that happen? Uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I grew up playing music and loving music, and records for me have always been just magic. I just that that feeling that opening up back the old vinyl looking at that darn thing and knowing that there was just magic on that darn thing and uh, when i found out that i could study how to make records that was the first time i ever got excited about school because <laughs> i was not, i was far from excited about school for a long time just getting by and uh but when i found out holy smokes you can study that um that uh that really did it for me i didn't really want to be a performer for a living i'd never really appealed to me I love playing and all that but that's not uh, it just didn't seem the right thing for me so um, yeah so I got the chance to uh, look in with a pal uh, I went to high school with to look at schools and uh, there weren't many at the time so that made it easy (laughs) and uh, went and looked at uh, you know the three that were you know, not in all the way as far away as Florida or something. And, uh, yeah, so they went and went to Berkeley College of Music, which was in the first year of the program. Yeah, and which you, you were at Berkeley the first year of their audio program? Yes. Wow. Uh, they had had audio before, but it was the first year when they turned into a full-fledged major. So there hadn't been the music production and engineering, MP&E, right, yeah, um, until that class of mine was there. And um, it was overloaded and... Uh, there was a lot about it. It was great, but it was um, there were t- too many of us. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I learned a tremendous amount. Um, I just lived at the studios there. 
because it, as I say, it was the finally I, I found something that I couldn't learn enough about. I couldn't spend enough time doing it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I always wondered what, what's going to happen. These people just go to class, and you know, they don't live at the studio. <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't seen them since. Uh, but uh, for those of us who did just you know live at the studio, um, that's uh, uh, all class stuff. And then I you know helped at another studio outside of in Revere. Revere, Revere, Massachusetts, Euphoria Sound Studios. I got to work there as an intern. It was uh, it was a great thing. Now, what what year was that that uh, you started? I started interning? at Berkeley. What well, interning in '85, mm-hmm. probably, mm-hmm. maybe '84. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the uh, first band I ever worked with. The whole band came in wearing Metallica T-shirts, and I didn't know what Metallica was. I thought Metallica <laughs> might be really. I thought it might be like an animated movie or something. What's Metallica? Uh-huh. It sounds like. A... So uh, well, I found out pretty quick. Oh, look at that! Uh-huh. Uh, it was kind of a heavy metal studio. They did other stuff, but that was a lot of really heavy bands played there. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool place. Mostly, I worked with a great mentor of mine, Amir Amir Ben Moshe. A guy, guy was there from Israel to uh, study um, arranging and production more than he'd already made a bunch of records. And man, I attached myself to him. We became great friends, and I learned so much from him. And uh, so the schooling was good. And then you know, being around a pro who really knew how to handle sessions and really knew how to handle clients, and I learned so much from that guy. So I was extremely fortunate. To get into that program because my academic credentials were lacking, shall we say? But uh, first year they needed to fill it. <laughs> I was there. Nice. And and uh, a- after Berkeley, uh, I-, I know I don't know if this you went directly to there, but a big early job for you was Streeterville in Chicago. Yeah, right? um, almost disarmingly fast. Was uh, I got out of school? I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. I was hoping to stay in the Midwest, being a Midwest guy, but just always feel comfortable here. So I thought Chicago might be cool, and sure enough, three weeks after I'd graduated, I was offered a job at Streeterville Studios in wow. Chicago. a paid job. I mean, yeah, full, full-time doesn't begin to cover it. I know <laughs> you have spent your time <laughs> doing it, too. The fullest of times. The fullest of times, yeah. all the times. But yeah. uh, So very, very fortunate there. I learned so much from the... Uh, other engineers there. They yeah. were just awesome. A lot of people may not even be aware if they haven't experienced it firsthand. We, you know, when we talk about full hours at those studios, when you're working on that kind of level, it's almost a 24-7 kind of commitment, yeah. that, right? The, the, what what was what was your life like while you were working at Studio It was Bill? just being at the studio. Really, I was only home to sleep. And except for uh, Sundays, uh, almost always Sundays were clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday through Friday for sure were, uh, and I lived an hour. I was still in the city, but I was on the very northern end of the city. So um, any old Chicago folks behind Z. Frank Chevrolet, <laughs> the world's largest Chevrolet dealer. And uh, it was an hour typically um, each way to work, taking a bus to the to the train. So, uh, And I had to be at work at 7 in order to have sessions because we did a lot of voiceover sessions. And uh, there were nine studios, and I got hired as an assistant. I sure wasn't uh, engineering sessions, and so I had to um, set up multiple sessions to get started. You know, nine. That place was just humming. So you'd get there at seven and set up 
mics, headphones, the whole rig for voiceover in multiple rooms yeah. for multiple studios. And there were two big studios, uh, two upstairs, two big tracking spaces uh, that were doing, you know, full on rhythm section and often, you know, the rhythm section and string overdubs and horns and all that. And then we do it in just a day. So um, it wasn't unusual there to have 15, sometimes more than 20 sessions in a day. And they had to be set up and torn down, and they booked those things back to back. So uh, we were <laughs> uh-huh. flying all the time, and uh, typically didn't get out of there until um, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So twelve, fourteen-hour days was just what happened every day, and then sometimes things happened on Saturdays. And um, unfortunately, <laughs> well, it was it was a great opportunity, but some of the some of the extra stuff that happened on Saturday and Sunday was the coolest stuff. The stuff I was most interested in, voiceovers. I learned a lot, a lot, a lot about working fast and from great, great pro engineers. But uh, the cooler sessions were at night and on the weekends. So Alligator Records stuff was happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, movie soundtrack, Adventures in Babysitting was the <laughs> thing nice. I worked on all day on a Sunday, uh-huh. which was, you know, was great. It was a great change of pace. I wanted to be involved in something to do for a movie. But it was relentless. It was mm. absolutely relentless. I knew after a short time being there that that's not how I wanted my life to be. But mm-hmm. uh, I worked really hard, and it's a big part of what got me this job was that I had to, you know. You went from Streeterville to WMU? Yep. So I'd been there almost a full year. And, uh, yeah, just heard from my old violin teacher here in Kalamazoo, Barry Ross. He uh, was talking to my mother. He saw her somewhere and said, hey, did, does John know that there's a – studio job at Western and I did not know in fact the uh, deadline had already passed to uh, submit materials for it but I just did anyway and luckily enough uh, they thought enough of it and once again just got super lucky uh, they weren't paying enough to get somebody with you know I was 25 years old you know they weren't offering something that some established 40 year old guy was going to take mm-hmm. so uh, there he was <laughs> I'll take it wow <laughs> So Western Sound Studios, it's just such a beautiful room, such a beautiful amount of gear in here right now for any of the geeks keeping track at home. We're talking through a couple of Neumann, these are TLM 49s, yep. is that right? Yep. Through True Precision 8 into Pro Tools. Pro yep. Tools HD. This has grown over the decades into both a really renowned educational program, but also a really renowned studio in town with... Uh, quite a roster of impressive outboard gear, many different spaces available to it. You're getting all kinds of school of music stuff, classical, jazz. You're getting, of course, all kinds of bands coming in, influences from the students. You know, it's it's a it's a busy place here, too. Oh, it is. And uh, part of what I've loved about it is that the, the variety, the, uh, you know, studios, of course, probably anybody who would listen to this will know the studios tend to have a certain kind of clientele. And uh, certainly Streeterville was that, you know, super heavy on the voiceover and commercial work. And then they lucky enough to do the Alligator Records blues stuff. But uh, there wasn't that much more going on than that. And um, Well, studios have a niche. They've yep. seen that they've built that up That they serve, and yep, they've got a reputation in it. And, yeah. and uh, the glory of the, here at the School of Music from somebody who loves music is the variety of music that's going on here. You know, the jazz studies here is super strong. There's amazing players. Of course, there's the classical players and uh, all kinds of opportunities from orchestras to, you know, uh, voice and piano stuff in the recital hall. And we record more than 100 concerts a year. So there's just all kinds of stuff going on. So mm-hmm. the variety of doing big bands, rock bands, hip-hop sessions now, we'll do quite a few of those. 
There's all kinds of stuff going on. And uh, it's a great opportunity, not for me just to, you know, it's always interesting, but for the students to see that, you know, this is, there's a, there's a wide variety of stuff going on and they have a great opportunity to at least, uh, you know, dip their toe in the pool before they get out and maybe, you know, in, as you say, in a certain scene and uh, get as strong a background as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about the audio classes here. Uh, is it still organized the same way it was when I was here, where there being four core yep. audio classes? Yep, there's a lot of people now going beyond that to do extra, as they should as part of a major. But, uh, yeah, there's four. First, a uh, lecture-only class where it really hit the nuts and bolts of audio hard. And a lot of memorization, but of stuff I think is super important for anybody doing serious audio to understand. And then the second course is doing actual project work, a single project. The point of that one is to get them to uh, just be able to really operate a studio. I don't expect it to sound great. Now, uh, in fact, they can do quite well in the class even without it, the project sounding very good. It's just can they pull it off? You know, can you record an overdub, mix, headphones, you know, sends all just getting it to go in that class. Uh, but so many people are showing up with some real experience now that some of them are. Wow, really doing a great job. So, uh, I mean, creatively even, not just understanding all the gear. Well, but, the amount of gear that people have access to at home now is beyond what anybody had even 10 or 20 years ago. Oh, you, you bet. Know. And uh, so many of them come in with uh, quite a bit of experience. And uh, often, you know, they're, uh, they've they got an awful lot to learn, of course, but I just so admire the get up and go. I, I often hear from students that after they've taken classes and really done projects and really done a lot more reading on their own that they're often say, man, I don't know how I – was audacious enough to think I could record a record for somebody before. <laughs> but I think that's awesome. I love it that that's not stopping them. You know, we've all got more to learn. You know, you and I learn, right? We just keep learning stuff yeah. all the time. Why would you wait until you've learned everything until you do your work? You know, the jump in, I super admire that they just jump in and do it as, as much as they as, as they can. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, this. And then the third course, they got to do a couple projects. There's some real, real um, specific requirements uh, I have for some of them because I really think they're great learning opportunities. And uh, heck, you know, or any of us who do, you know, the client work, you got to serve the client with whatever they need. You don't necessarily always have the opportunity to just branch out and do any whatever wacky shit you want to. And, uh, I really encourage them to do that here while they can, while they're in charge of their project and, and they don't have a client who's on the clock. So, um, yeah, and the fourth one I really hit, um, we do, of course, always, always, always more technical stuff, but uh, serving clients. I think that is, especially today with the gear that's available, and anybody can get a plug-in from Isotope or whomever where you there's a, you know, you can hit a preset for uh, processing for a hip-hop vocal, and it sounds pretty good. So how are they going to distinguish themselves? I just pound away this between somebody who has just got the same plug in and hit the same preset. Well, what, what can you bring? So taking care of the client and uh, the thing I say endlessly, you know, having a, a, an environment that is conducive to creativity is – it's hard to do, right? Mm-hmm. You're managing so many things. There's so much going on technically and there's all the people in the band or whoever you're working with and the – you know, the psychology of it all and putting people at ease is something that you're great at and something that um, uh, I'm glad my students who have, uh, you know, got to work with you see that. It's such a big part of it. And um, I'm, I can't stress that enough with them, how to 
help a client get what they need. They so often have no idea how to get what they want. They know what they want. They're great at what they do. And can you help them, you know, uh, uh, get it done? How have them uh, bring their vision to fruition? Yeah, it's also incredibly important for students to think about it as really a service industry is what mm-hmm. it is. How, how much can you facilitate someone else's vision? Absolutely, a- absolutely, and uh, that I really think is what. Given that it's harder and harder to distinguish yourself from just anybody who's got some gear. And uh, as I say, presets and whatnot. That, I mean, how are they going to do that? What can they do to make a client want to spend the money to have them involved because they're going to help them make it a better project, mm-hmm. make it more efficient? Uh, a part of it, speed, it's something I've been really been uh, hammering more on is a big part of it is, well, okay, this person can edit for themselves, but can you edit five times faster than them? Mm-hmm. So is it going to be worth their time to have you involved? Because, man, you're fast. <laughs> yeah. And anything yeah. they can think of, you can execute it fast enough so that you know what that creative thing, when a session gets going and ideas are coming, you can't hamper that, slow that down by, well, let me just let me just futz with this edit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen some people recently that are faster than anybody I've ever seen before. And uh, there's a guest engineer that came into or worked with a gold company with Greg Jasperson, a Chicago guy. I wish I could re- remember his name at the moment. Uh, uh, in any case, uh, he was editing takes, vocal takes, while recording the next one. And as soon as they were done, it was he was just done. <laughs> he never. <laughs> he was amazing how fast he could do it and the confidence with which he could do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that and something else that's been new for me in just the last couple of years is I've worked with or uh, been involved with projects where there have been um, uh, I've heard a real high level pro player be asked as we always do as engineers you know hey are you cool with the sounds what do you think do you like the sound and the musicians both of them was really taken by this said look i don't i don't want you to ask me that question really yeah they were hiring the engineer because that engineer gets great sounds they don't want to think about the engineering process at all mm. uh, one of the ways one of the guys said is man you're taking my head out of the music wow and uh, while that's not an approach for everybody, I can co- completely understand it. That musician just wanted to be working with his ensemble, and he didn't want the studio environment to distract from anything from the production of the music. Well, the ideal situation is to almost make the technical side invisible yeah, to a certain point. Absolutely. You show up early, you set up, you, you hunt down all the problems, you get everything going. So when the singer shows up, they can just step up to the mic, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and just start thinking about the music. Mm-hmm. Right. And especially with singers. I mean, you know, uh, uh, there's something so personal about recording the voice in the studio. Do you have any techniques or, or things that that ways you approach vocal sessions to get the best kind of performance out of a singer you can? Yeah. Uh, as, as a matter of fact, and something that I um, I'd like to stress that the first few minutes of any session are in my view, probably the most important minutes. Let's just say a vocalist comes in, everybody, unless they've got a world of experience, and some people who do have a world of experience, uh, still, they're they're walking in and they're just a little anxious. They're, they want this to be great, and they're, you know, it's they care an awful lot about it. It's so important to them that they're, I want to immediately put them at ease. And just the things you were talking about, so I should be as ready as possible. I should be ready for them to step right up, and we should be rolling as soon as they're ready to. But 
importantly, I don't ever want to talk about what we're doing at first. And that's a real point of the way I approach things is at first, I just want to talk to them about how they're doing. I don't, I'm not talking about the session. I'm not talking about anything. I want them to feel at ease. Like, hey, great to see you. You know, if they just played a show and, you know, how did it go up in Grand Rapids last night? You know, blah, 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 blah. How's that other, whatever you, you know, how's your, how's your wife? How's your kid? How's your whatever? Any darn thing. Um, just to talk to them and just to get them to relax a little bit. And uh, always let them know that we're in no particular hurry, that uh, if you need to warm up or anything, if you need to just take whatever time you want. And then when they're, you know, we've joked around a little bit, we felt really calm. They've seen me feel, see, uh, they see me be really relaxed because I planned to be relaxed. It's something I'm hit with my students all the time. We've already, just as you said, we set up already. We checked everything already. I know everything's working already. And then I like to set them up in a way so when they perform, they can't see me or any of the rest of us. Mm. Um, not everybody wants that, and they'll ask me to change that, but that's something that I really think puts people at ease. They know when they get into a little space with a baffle that's got a window height that they can back up and look through it or something, but when they step up to the microphone, they're not being stared at. And uh, a lot of people really react well to that. And they also just see that it's really well thought out. That's something I really stress in that advanced two class is that uh, a lot of these things they won't take notice of until the big – maybe until they work with somebody else. And they realize, <laughs> wow, it went really smoothly over there. It just seems like everything was there to help me do what I wanted to do. So uh, anything that, uh, that just makes people feel cared about, we all like that. So, you know, there's a music stand there with the carpet square on it. It's got a room temperature water on it. Or if they brought tea, they've got that on there. There's a pencil. The lights are cool. They just feel like, oh, this is going to be great. This feels good. Man, I feel taken care of. Everybody performs better that way. Mm. So um, thinking that stuff through and being ready um, to put them at ease. Because, so, come on, look at all this stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, you know, if, if you get a magical performance from someone that's just in the zone and feels perfectly comfortable with what they're doing the mic you pick doesn't matter nearly as much absolutely i mean absolutely that's the case um i've that's something i've grown to appreciate more and more uh the especially in a world of presets and in a world of mechanical all this and that it's the soul of a performance and if it's great uh then it can it just can overcome everything. I used to have really strong feelings about, you know, I could, used to get kind of grumpy about MP3s and, oh, my God, you're listening through earbuds and you're listening through, oh, we have all, this sounds so great. It could sound so great. Why are you listening? But <laughs> the thing I've learned is that the one who needed to learn something was me, man. The reason that they do that is not because they're rubes or they're, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're uh, not understanding anything. In fact, I think that there's a, the lesson to be learned there that is that the music is magic and the music moves them even when they're listening through shitty speakers or earbuds and when it's an mp3 instead of some full bandwidth thing man the difference that the technical end makes if the soul is there is really it's not worth them spending money on because they're already crying over that performance they just heard <laughs> through their laptop. It's already super moved them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it would sound even cooler if they spent a whole bunch of money, but that's not it because the music is delivering anyway. And so, yeah, of course we love gear, and of course we love it when it sounds 
really, really great and appropriate for the thing. But the music is more powerful than that, and it's much more important. And so, uh, and when we heck, we do a microphone shootout with my students here from everything from mics that cost three thousand plus dollars to a hundred dollar fifty seven. And come on, the fifty seven sounds pretty darn good compared to those things. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not the very best choice all the time, but come on, they're a hundred bucks, man. Right. <laughs> right? That and you know some fat heads or other you know affordable microphones uh-huh. that give you a world of options. And if you can capture really soulful performances with those, man, you're golden. You don't need to spend $40,000 on microphones because mm-hmm. who's got $40,000 <laughs> to spend on microphones? Yeah. The point is that the gear isn't holding anybody back from making a great record. Nope. It might be holding people back from making something that sounds like the record of their dreams or whatever, maybe, or in a fidelity mm-hmm. sense or what, mm-hmm. but there's so many skills about making a record that have nothing to do with the technical side. It has to do with the experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I tell uh, students and clients alike that you should just book a studio when you need the studio. And um, if you've got, certainly people have gone through a recording program and have done well, they can do so much recording on their own at home. If you're close micing something, for crying out loud, what do you need a fancy studio for? Assuming you have the skills and the ears to do that on your own, um, then close micing a guitar cabinet is, you're not going to tell if that was done in a big studio or not. <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's true for so many things. Sound on Sound, a great magazine did a wonderful thing. Maybe you saw about uh, just recording drums in the same way in a whole bunch of different places and they were meticulous the same microphones the same chain the whole exact same recording chain the exact same setup with the same drum uh drum kit same drummer tried to make it as, as consistent as possible and they did it in a few of the fanciest uh well the top top of the line places in london some mid-range places and even the engineer's living room hmm. and the fact of the matter is if you're not using room mics then if you're close mic the drums it was almost uh, imperceptible the difference between a big studio and doing it in his living room. Hmm. Uh, now, room mics change everything, as any of us who've recorded would know. But uh, if you're close mic and things and you know what you're doing, then why are you doing it in a studio? Mm-hmm. So it seems like that pad, like the walls have really disappeared between professional studios and home recordings are you seeing that with a lot of the students coming through oh yeah too? absolutely and a lot of them have a fair amount of gear they put together mm-hmm. and uh as i said as you alluded to they uh, will come to a studio when you need a whole bunch of inputs maybe this particular project we're going to track the band live to multi-track and you know it's rare for a student to have enough inputs enough gear at home to be able to track a you know 18 or 20 or plus inputs but um so by all means take that kind of work to a studio but uh the more you can do for a client at your place or at their house, uh, you know, the better. And I said, no, 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 let's just do it at your place. Clients love to hear that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and it can, of course, be a gateway to that sacred spot of complete artistic comfortability and, and yeah. you know, uh, being in the right headspace to focus on the music absolutely and that's what we should be serving so the flexibility to do that the knowledge of what can be done that's one of the things i really harp on in the classes is you know help the client understand because they won't have the experience to know that when they should be spending big money on a you know top flight signal flame a signal chain and a spot and when that's just not necessary save them a bunch of money if they only have to pay your hourly rate instead of a studios well then you can charge a pretty good hourly rate and um you can keep all of that 
and uh, then say, no, 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 we've mixed and mixed, but let's take it to the studio to, you know, finalize the mixes, make sure we're cool, utilize some of that top-end gear that's there at the nice control room, and, of course, bring to bear maybe another engineer's ears, Mm -hmm. but only pick and choose when that serves the project, the budget, and and all of that. Well, you you brought a recording here to uh, play here and, and talk about Indeed. a little bit. Is that right? This is you and Susie Parr That's and right. Jay Gavin. Yep. Is that correct? That's right. Cool. Well, what's the name of this piece here? Well, uh, it depends. Let me see. Which one should we listen to? Uh, we did just track three songs, uh, live to multi-track. Uh, in fact, while doing video shoot at the same time. Wow. Right here at the studio. And uh, so the live takes was great, you know, all the way through. Um, but Susie Jay, it's just been a, a joy playing with those guys. So... Well, let's hear hear a little bit of uh, Jay and Susie and John here. A one, two, a one, two, three, four. I know why I waited, know why I've been blue. Prayed each night for someone exactly like you. Why do we spend money on a show for two? No one does those love scenes exactly like you. You make me feel so grand I wanna hand the world to you You seem to understand Each foolish little dream I'm dreaming And the schemes I'm scheming And I know, I know Why my mother taught me to be true She meant me for someone exactly like you That was beautiful, man. Well Thanks. Done. I'm so excited yeah. about it, but really satisfying. Yeah. So, so that was recorded with the three of you playing together live. Yep. In the same room here at yep. Western. Right here at Western. Wow. Uh, how are you set up in the room? How we you set up uh, pretty much as we uh, as we do when we perform or just rehearse. We sat uh, no baffles between us, and uh, Susie in the middle, me and Jay on either side. Um, Jay wanted to 
sit. It's his preference. And given that he's a foot taller than the other of us, <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I stood for part, although on one take, we decided um, the, there's a long, slower uh, one uh, that uh, we would sit for that, but um, all of us would. But then we just did a bunch of takes. And, uh, you know, with the video especially, uh, you know, to get into comfort, comfortable in the studio is always one thing. But, you know, when there's four video cameras right? and uh, so there's all these other people standing there moving around a little bit. Uh, it took us a little while to settle in. But once we did, we just knocked off takes, really worked hard. It was uh, – I just love that though when your session is done and you're tired. <laughs> but a happy tired, you know. Yeah. And uh, very, very pleased with it. And so we'll – We'll see, and I love that you know the full takes idea. Mm-hmm. I also love you know as I'll tell anybody, I'd love doing a million overdubs. I love editing mm-hmm. stuff. I love using the studio as a creative tool to do whatever the heck you want. But there's just the beauty of playing straight on through, and oh, there's the performance. Yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you know, also to do that, it's it, you're facilitating a situation where you've got a comfortable amount of time. You've got musicians that are well rehearsed and know each other. That and you're you're giving yourself the ability to do a bunch of takes and you know not feel that pressure and you know that that's what leads to those kind of performances versus sort of the microscope approach mm-hmm. you know um beautiful sounds in there man what what were you using on Susie's voice on Susie's was this a 49 mm-hmm. uh, all the mics went through oh Joe Salmon was the one who engineered the session ah. Joe was mm-hmm. uh he's still in the program the multimedia arts technology but uh, he's uh, one of the guys as you were they're one of the top people that once they get uh uh, get good enough. Um, they start handling sessions. They do all kinds of recording for us, and uh, Joe also fixes all kinds of stuff for us. So can't get much more helpful than that. Um, so he did a great job. Uh, he tried. Um, we went with the forty nine. He ran everything through the Precision Eight um, mm-hmm. for pre's, and uh, on the mandolin was the Royer One Twenty Two V. Which uh, ribbon microphone? Yep, yeah, and uh, really wanted to uh, give that a try with my relatively new instrument, and uh, sure enough, I heard it and said, "Oh yeah, that's that's just lovely," <laughs> and so uh, that was cool. And then a guitar was the thing that uh, I started out with a couple of four fourteens, moving them around was just not happy. Made me really happy as I was mentioning to you while we were listening. It was, didn't use any EQ at all on this. It just it got those instruments. There are two instruments that sound great together, um, the, my mandolin and uh, Jay's old guitar, this arch top. Mm-hmm. Is it a Kalamazoo? Do you remember what that is? Uh, I, I, is I don't know. Gibson or Kalamazoo? I don't remember it right now. But uh, they just sound great together, which, of course, the wonderful lesson of that, if the instruments work together, then you don't have to muck with them all to make stuff happy. They just they just go. Yeah. Um, and the right mic combinations with those right. instruments. You know, I mean, when John says there wasn't any EQ, you know, he pulled up a Pro Tool session and, you know, played it in here. And there's literally no inserts on. That's just straight up mic tone, instrument tone. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, man, sounds beautiful. Well, thank you. I'm really pleased with the work uh, we all did. Uh, Joe was great. He ended up uh, doing a combination I had never exactly done before uh, on the guitar, which was a spaced pair of uh, the U87. Uh, toward the sound hole, not on it, but toward the body, and uh, AKG 451 up on, no, no, sorry, uh, KM84, another small diaphragm mm-hmm. condenser, up on the neck, and uh, I said, well, let's see what the heck that is, and sure enough, we listened to it, well, this is just great, and the two great options of change the tone quite a bit with just changing the balance between those two, and uh, it just sounds terrific. 
Well, thank you so much for all of your time here today, John. This oh, has been man. fantastic, and uh, you know we, we could talk for hours. Maybe yes, we could. <laughs> maybe we'll do a part two. <laughs> that would be great, so. man. Uh, uh, so glad to be a part of it. So best of luck. For more on John and Western Sound Studios, check out wmish.edu slash WSS. You've been listening to Electricians and Mad Men. Today's interview was recorded at Western Sound Studios in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Our featured recording was Exactly Like You by the Susie Parr Trio. Our theme music was written and performed by Brian Koenigsnacht. For show notes, links, and more episodes, visit electriciansandmadmen.com. I'm Ian Gorman of La Luna Recording and Sound. Thanks for listening.